The Gospel according to Matthew. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. There are two versions of the story we've just heard in the Gospels. Both Luke and Matthew include it, but they tell it slightly differently. In Luke's Gospel, it's a simple tale of a rich man who throws a feast and invites other rich and important people to it. But they send excuses and don't come. So he invites all and sundry to take their place, dragging bewildered beggars in off the streets to make sure the food is eaten and the feast enjoyed. It's a story about inclusion and welcome. The story in Matthew's Gospel is much darker, though, and it's set at a much darker point in Jesus' ministry. It's the last week before his crucifixion, and he's in the temple, speaking to the priests and, and the Pharisees. We've heard a series of readings over recent Sundays from the same extended conversation. These are the people who have the power in Jesus' society, political power as well as religious power. They're the ones who expect to be listened to and obeyed. And they're offended that this carpenter from Nazareth seems to be attracting such a following. The story Jesus tells them challenges that sense of entitlement. The main character in Matthew's story isn't just a rich man, like he is in Luke. He's a king. And the feast isn't just a feast. It's a wedding banquet for his son and heir. In the Bible, weddings aren't about love. Two people's eyes meeting across a crowded room, undying affection, hearts and flowers and all that. Biblical weddings, especially royal ones, are about alliances, dynasties, politics property, kingdoms. They're specifically about the future of the kingdom, because after the wedding it's hoped a new generation of rulers will be born. So this is a royal wedding, and that means that when the invited guests refused to come, it wouldn't just have seemed rude, it would have looked like treason. 
the king would have seen it as a deliberate public refusal to support him at a crucial turning point in his nation's life. Imagine doing this to Henry VIII at one of his many marriages. You'd soon find your head was literally on the block. It's no wonder that the king in the story is furious. Matthew's hearers would have expected him to be. No king worth his salt in the ancient world would have put up with what looked like a deliberate snub like this. It's important to understand at this point that Jesus isn't saying that the king is God or that God would behave in this way. Parables aren't supposed to be point-for-point comparisons like that. He's telling a story, a rather exaggerated, over-the-top story to make his audience think, to open a door in their hearts and minds. These powerful people Jesus is talking to claim that God is their king and that their power derives from God. But they're so busy with their own agendas, like the guests who went off to their farms and businesses, that they're missing the moment when God actually shows up in their midst. But they aren't the only people to come in for stick in this story. Right at the end, there's a detail which many people find deeply puzzling and disturbing. A man is found in the banqueting hall who isn't wearing a wedding garment and the king is as furious with him as he was with those who didn't turn up at all, ordering him to be cast out into the darkness. Now, this sounds completely unfair to us. What if he couldn't afford special clothes? After all, he wasn't expecting to go to a wedding that day. He'd just been dragged in off the streets. And is God really bothered about what we wear? Commentators have suggested all sorts of explanations, For example, it would have been fairly common for hosts to to provide clothing for their guests at a wedding. So perhaps he'd been given something but wouldn't wear it. Who knows? But the truth is that we're probably just asking a 21st century question of a 1st century text. The implication is clear. This is a man who doesn't want to recognise the importance of this wedding. He's sitting at the table, eating the food but he's not prepared to get changed, to enter into the joy of the occasion and the future it promises. And perhaps that's even worse than refusing to come at all, because he's quite prepared to enjoy the party without investing anything in what the party is for. We don't have to openly rebel against God in order to sabotage the work of his kingdom. We can do it just as effectively, perhaps more so, by paying lip service to it, by turning up, by calling ourselves Christian, but not letting our faith make any difference to our lives. Like this man, we can refuse to get changed, to address the parts of our lives that we know aren't right. We can sit in the pews or stand in the pulpit or even sit on a bishop's throne, but not live out the kingdom's values. This week, the Church of England, and especially its leadership, was heavily criticised in the latest report from the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, which has been looking at abuse in many sectors of society – education, politics, the care system, but also churches. Those involved with children and vulnerable adults in churches will know that safeguarding has become a huge priority over recent decades – as it is here at SEAL, with DBS checks and safeguarding training mandatory for a wide range of people. The inquiry recognised that progress 
but found it was all too often stymied by the culture which pervaded some parts of the church. A culture of deference, cronyism, old boys' networks, attitudes to those with power which made it hard for the voices of those without it to be heard, particularly the victims and survivors of abuse. The inquiry report makes for painful reading, but I'm afraid I wasn't at all surprised by its contents. Wherever there has been power throughout human history, there has also been abuse of power. The church ought to be different, but it isn't. And it can only become different if each of us who calls ourselves a Christian is prepared to get changed, to let God transform us. Christian faith is meaningless if it doesn't change us, but it's easy to become complacent, to enjoy the wedding banquet, but not be prepared to live the life of the kingdom it's meant to herald. This story, as it's told in Matthew's Gospel, is a big story, a deep story, a challenging story. Do we want to be part of what God is doing or not? Are we prepared to let God change us as we need to be changed or not? Are we up for new life, new beginnings, new hope for ourselves and for our communities and our world? or not. The choice is ours. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us your gift of faith, that forsaking what lies behind and reaching out to that which is before, we may run the way of your commandments and win the crown of everlasting joy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.